This is Found in the Rockies, a podcast about the startup ecosystem in the Rocky Mountain region, featuring the founders, funders, and contributors, and most importantly, the stories of what they're building. I'm Les Craig from Next Frontier Capital, and on today's episode, we have Brad Paz, the co-founder and CEO of Zoptic, which is a sports tech and data analytics company that he launched in 2017 with his business partner, Tanya Porter, who is a former leader of sports performance technology for the U.S. Olympic Committee. I'm excited, Brad. So, so great to have you here. And I can't wait to learn more about Zoptic today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, you know, to begin, as we as we always do on Found in the Rockies, I would love to know uh, a little bit more about who you are, where you grew up, perhaps a little bit of your educational background and kind of early professional life and career leading up to kind of the inspiration and, and your founding story. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I was born and raised in Nebraska. Uh, grandparents migrated from Mexico, so uh, they were working the fields, and that's kind of how we landed in Nebraska. Um Played quite a few sports. Um, that was kind of the thing to do um, there um, to stay busy. I graduated in '92, uh, and then I ventured off to Modesto, California, to take a shot at playing uh, basketball, junior college basketball. Oh, wow! Um, that that didn't work out the way I thought it would. Um, ended back up in Nebraska, finished junior college, then. Um, actually completed my education at the University of Denver here in 1996. Very cool. And and uh, Denver and Nebraska are pretty big sports rivals, aren't they? Isn't that kind of like <laughs> the neighbor? They are. Yeah. They are. You don't really have a choice when it comes to choosing a football team in Nebraska, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. What, uh, what position did you play on the basketball court? Uh, point guard. Point guard. Excellent. Yeah. Very cool. So finished up at Denver, uh, at DU, at DU. Yes. Yep. Great. And then, uh, so what, 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 what'd you do next? You know, I ventured out into finance. I worked for uh, Merrill Lynch, which is now owned by bank of America for five years in their, uh, financial planning department. So did that for a little bit, kind of felt, uh, corporate America probably wasn't my style. I wasn't a good fit for it. And uh, that's okay. So I ventured out and started um, working in insurance. So personal lines mm-hmm. insurance, a small agency. Um, while I was there, I, I did everything from answering the phones to selling product to actually owning, having ownership uh, for about 17 years. Wow. Um, so that's, that's kind of, I think, uh, to maybe take a step back, I have three kids who are very active in sports. So kind of when I was doing the insurance side of the business, there was some obviously entrepreneurship involved in there because it was a smaller shop. So it was fun Mm -hmm. to try things out, to learn how to scale, um, you know, certain things in the sales process, make things more efficient. So kind of my love for sports and my love for kind of that business side of it is what gravitated me towards Optic. Awesome. And in that kind of 17 year window uh, where you were you, you were getting your career going, um, you did you started another company, right? Is that my company access? You were the company we did. there? Yeah, we did. That was kind of on the heels of um, the, the changes that Obamacare uh, came into place. We were just trying to make the whole process a little more efficient for the consumer 
the consumer in this particular situation was the business owner. Mm -hmm. So kind of cut my teeth a little bit on that. That didn't really go anywhere, but um, it was a learning experience. Yeah, for sure. Um, but you still, you had that entrepreneurial bug, you'd kind of done it before. So you had the confidence and kind of the, the fortitude to, to, to make that leap as you did in the past. What was, uh, what was the, you, you mentioned that the inspiration was really having children in sports. What was the moment where you said, okay, I want to, I want to try this. I want to give it a shot. Well, I think after spending, it's, it really is countless hours and parents who, have kids in sports to know exactly what I'm talking about, but you're just kind of sitting on the sidelines, right? And sometimes you get this helpless feeling, right? Because I'm not brave enough to be a coach, but I obviously have my opinions and I want to look out for my my kids' best interest. Um, so the original concept of Zoptic was actually a video recording device. Mm-hmm. And my daughter, there's kind of a large gap in ages between my kids. So my eldest daughter's 30. Uh, my son is 15 and my daughter is 13. Hmm. So there's kind of a little bit of a gap. But when my 30-year-old was playing basketball in high school, she would always ask me, hey, dad, what did I do wrong? You know, or what could I have done better? And I'd tell her and I'd be like, well, you could box out a little more. You weren't boxing out. And she'd say, yes, I was. So I thought, well, why don't we <laughs> figure out? I don't, it really didn't go anywhere. But the door was open, right? That she was open to my feedback, um, which doesn't always happen. But uh, so we built a device that had a gimbal where you could dock your mobile phone. Hmm. Uh, That My daughter would wear a a small sensor and then I just press play on here and it would actually follow her up and down the the field of play. Oh, wow. I'm Um, usually just doing that with my iPhone and you got a gimbal and tech solution for it. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. So, I mean, it was really cool. I think, you know, when we started looking for investment after we had built it, um, you look at the manufacturing demand, it was too high and the margins were too slim to really pursue it as a business. I mean, we still have it and we're going to incorporate it into our current product um, at some point. But it was more, that was kind of the launch pad in 2017. And then in 2019 is when Tanya came on board. Um, to kind of help me. And I think the the real change was I was meeting with a division one uh, athletic director and we were talking about my product and he said, well, you know, we have a videography department. We don't really need use for that. However, mm. if you could put um, a, more sensors into your wearable tag, because this is what the athletes wear, mm-hmm. we would definitely be interested in getting the data off of that. So, Originally coming from a consumer product, we kind of pivoted to more of a B2B product, like for more team sports, more data-driven, less videos, that type of thing. So that's when I was fortunate to find Tanya um, with her background and expertise. Um, You know, it's been great. I think COVID kind of put us on the sidelines for a little while because obviously we couldn't get out and, um, you know, meet with athletes and coaches and what have you. but. Very cool. I I think uh, I think it's fascinating too to think about this from the originally obsessing over the problem from the parents' perspective because what you described is exactly how I feel sometimes. Even though you know, growing up, I was 
Um, I, I wouldn't even call myself an athlete, but I played sports. Um, but, but what I have found is my children have pursued, you know, I was a baseball player. I boxed at West Point. I played rugby, uh, uh, intermill rugby, but my kids are into completely different sports. So when I'm on the sideline and my daughter's playing volleyball or my son's playing hockey or soccer, I'm just kind of like, I don't even know what to tell them. I barely understand these <laughs> games, but so this, this is a solution inspired by the ability to create data and analytics so that there can be inputs. Is that right? There can be inputs around coaching and I imagine probably injury prevention and other things as well. Is that right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that right now, kind of at the non-professional level, um, what's missing but coming um, soon is just some objectivity in the decision-making process for the coaches, right? A lot of times they're just subjectively deciding when an athlete needs to take a break, how hard did they practice? So it's really about bringing some objectivity into the equation. And I think what is interesting about that is that it's it's already been validated at the pro ranks. Mm-hmm. So like if you look at Steph Curry, right, they monitor how many regular season games he plays for a reason. It's based on data. Mm-hmm. Um James Harden, right? His superpower is deceleration, right? He's they've they've tested him in in some facilities in California, and his ability to decelerate is really what kind of set him apart, you know, in the prime of his career. But I mean, all of this stuff is fascinating. I think what goes back to kind of what you were talking about is when we spend thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours a year on our kids, and I don't know if your kids are traveling, but it, it oh, can yeah. be painful. I got a trip um, to Miles City this weekend. <laughs> That's in Montana, in case you were wondering. <laughs> yeah. So most clubs or schools don't really have um, anything to give you um, like a return on your investment, right? Something visually mm-hmm. like this is where we took your child from your athlete from here to here to be able to show that type of information. Um, at least would make me feel a little bit better about the use of my time and dollars. Um, so that's kind of it. When you look at who our, our users are, it's obviously the athletes, the coaches, and the parents, right? Those are the, those are the people that we're really solving for. However, there are many more stakeholders uh, involved if you peel the onion away. Yeah. Super cool. You know, it, it's super cool. It kind of reminds me of like uh, almost like a, a second, the, the next generation of of what, you know, maybe some people are familiar with is like Moneyball, a Moneyball or a statistics-based based approach to optimizing teams. I mean, that's what Moneyball really was, right? Um, in, in, the, in the Oakland A's and, and Billy Bean. But um, this, is, this is a whole different level going down to the individual athlete. And from what you characterized, Professional sports have, they've been doing this already, but for how, for how long, how long have like, you know, the Steph Curry's of the world been monitoring their individual performance? You know, it's been a while. I know mm-hmm. they put millions of dollars into the uh, Golden State Warriors facility. I mean, it, it probably goes back to 2007, right? But wow, as technology yeah. starts to catch up and they start to understand mm-hmm. the data more. Um, 2016 is when the Golden State Warriors made that leap because they lost in the finals after establishing the best uh, regular season record ever. That's right. That's right. So that was kind of the light bulb. And he sat, I think he sat 20 more games the following year, but they ended up winning the finals. Oh, wow. 
Well, they didn't have to face LeBron the following year, right? Is, is that the year right. that LeBron? <laughs> kind of an X factor, but anyway. Yeah, right. Um, true. But uh, what, uh, so, so this is a, so Zoptic is really about bringing some of this analytics to more of the masses. Can you tell us more about, super intrigued, like the nuts and bolts of how it actually works, what it is, and how, you know, what's the input or the, the pane of glass that coaches and parents can look through? Um, you know, to assess and, and help help their young athletes? Sure. So the athlete wears this small wearable device, and this is probably our fifth iteration of the small wearable tag, um, but it goes into a, go ahead. I was just going to say, and so for our for our listeners who can't, maybe maybe can't see it, it's basically to kind of describe it. It's like a, it's like a thin hockey puck looking device with like an L, uh, some sort of display on it. Yeah, oh, there's, tell that, me that's there's, even better. No up. display. Yeah. 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 No so displays. tell us what you're comparing it to right now. It's actually so, a, an iPod case. Yeah. It's about the same size as an iPod case. Much and, smaller uh, than a hockey puck. My my uh, yeah. spatial awareness is way off here. Yeah. iPod case. So, okay. so within the next six months, we'll even make it smaller. Um, there There is no screen on here. This is just the number of oh, the tag. Okay. So we, we don't feel like a screen's important because um, we really want to make it a seamless experience. So the athlete has a sports vest that you may have seen a lot of the soccer mm-hmm. players take their shirt off. Same, same concept. And then there's a little pouch in the upper back where this sits. Cool. So and literally any sport. So it doesn't matter. Like, like my son plays hockey. Could he wear one of these as a hockey player? He could. He Me? could. Okay. So there's a, it's, it's, it's interesting because our technology works indoors and outdoors. So there are quite a few GPS wearables out there, um, but they're obviously isolated to the outdoor environment. The trade-off here is that we do have antennas that are required to be either with built within the infrastructure, but we just recently got a mobile kit that we'll be able to basically take on the road. Um, it's cool. pretty cool. Um, so basically, the antennas are talking with the wearable tag. Mm-hmm. Um, basically capturing data at 16 times a second, the X, Y, and the Z coordinates of the athlete. Wow. That's so it's fast. a very, it's a very fast because the technology I mean, we're using has just extremely strong, uh, bandwidth, right? Yeah. Um, I was going to say a GPS based, based device could never have that kind of data fidelity, like not right. close. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, that's cool. So we're tracking the location and the movement of the athlete. Okay. So, I mean, there's so many different variables that we can collect off of it. What we will be doing is overlaying it on like a football combine. So whether the athlete is doing a 40 yard dash or the L drill, things of that nature, we'll be over to able to overlay on top of that, pick up top acceleration, top decelerations, um, top speeds, just different things that aren't um, traditionally captured. Very cool. And then do you have, is, are there algorithms uh, or, or sort of analytical packages specific to certain sports? So when you know sort of the area of, you know, the dimensions of a hockey ring or, you know, the, the dimensions of a baseball field, do you build in certain other sports specific metrics as well to the analytics package? You, you know, we can, um, we haven't yet, but obviously with the rich data that we're gathering, um, there is a lot of opportunity, right? I think for us right now, we have two beta clients that we're deploying. 
So it's kind of a situation where, you know, we have a number of specifics that we can kind of track um, and gather, but I think it's important, especially working with these first few beta clients in understanding what they want and what they need, right? Rather than giving them a ton of information and data. Um, mm-hmm. But long-term, we have a really um, thoughtful strategy in how you scale the program, right? Because what I find is interesting, and and we even run into it now, is when you're talking to schools, whether it be a private high school or a college, um, you know, there's always that fear of missing out, right? Well, if so-and-so has it, we better get it. Type right, thing. right. Yep. But I think what's cool about it is that each school will be able to use it a little differently, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's some coaches who, you know, all they want to know is what's the load, right? What's the load on my athlete? How much sure. have they exerted? Because they want to know at the end of practice, do they send them to the showers? Do they send them to the treadmill? Do they send them to the weight room? Mm-hmm. And that might not be the theory for all performance coaches, right? But it's very sure. easy for us to deliver that and kind of swap out things um, to accommodate. Very cool. Are you able Are you able to share any uh, sort of fun anecdotes, whether it be specific, you know, marquee kind of customers or teams that have used this and, and had success? We don't really have anybody kind of marquee that we're advertising. Um, okay. I, you know, I, I know uh, it's new. All of this is new, especially for our target markets. Um, mm-hmm. I think I may have missed answering one of your questions. We are focused on indoor sports. Okay. So being able to, you know, put our antennas in a basketball court could technically serve four teams. So you'd have your men's and women's basketball teams, volleyball, uh, boys and girls. Now in high school, there's quite a few of those. And hockey, uh, Tanya still plays hockey. Um, So that's kind of near to her heart. So we're going to identify a hockey rink or two to have this in. I I see. Cool. So in other words... Once the rink is equipped, I would say the barrier to entry or the friction for folks to become adopters, early adopters, would be probably pretty low. I mean, I know if if the uh, wrestler ice center here in Bozeman had a system, I'd be signing up to get my son one of these. Exactly. Uh, so that's that's pretty cool. What um speaking of speaking of Tanya, I'd love to hear more about her her involvement and how. I mean, it seems like with her background um and and her career, probably a pretty great compliment to you as a co-founder. Tell us, tell us a little bit about her and kind of what she's brought to your team. Yeah, she's, um, she's been amazing. Um, you know, her background and experience, it's just from the technical to the non-technical, um, right now we're working on, uh, you know, a couple of product updates and she understands the coding language. So I don't really have to worry about that stuff. You know, I'm a non-technical co-founder, but she's able to kind of handle that and take take our engineers down the right path and keep them in line. Um, and then it's really cool because she sat on so many sides of the table throughout her career, whether it was a coach, a parent, uh, a performance coach, right? She's dealt with some of the, you know, best athletes in the world. Um, mm-hmm. so it, it just, it really was a big lift for the company just because she brings so much credibility 
Um, when we go in and talk to the performance coaches, you know, she can, she can talk the lingo, right? She can identify exactly what they want. Um, she's almost like a, she is a sports scientist without the formal degree because mm -hmm. the calculations, the algorithms that she's able to create, you know, um, I'm just very fortunate that it's all kind of in one package, right? Normally you'd have to have three or four people to kind of do what she does. So. Yeah. Um, when, when the two of you think about the future of Zoptic and sort of like where you want to go, where you want to take this, like, what is the, what is sort of the dream path for the company? And, and, you know, how are you looking at the next couple of years of getting there? Yeah. I, you know, we definitely want to scale. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, exiting at some point in the next five years is probably of interest to both of us. Um, but I think scaling the business and while we're doing that, just creating stories, right, that are meaningful to people. Um, I know one of the things that we're both passionate about is looking at how can we take this data um, and package it in a way that, it, that we uncover things that will reduce injury risk. Because mm -hmm. a lot of the major injuries, like over 60% of the major injuries, whether it's Achilles or a knee, they're non-contact. And a lot of them have to do with the body just being overexerted. Yep. Right. Um, you know, when I was growing up, if you threw up, you were working hard, right? Like if you, if you <laughs> that was the metric. Yeah, that was the metric. That, did, did they puke? Oh, okay. Then that was a good practice, right? Right. Um, and, otherwise, let's do another suicide. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I think there's a lot of um, opportunity there, right. To be able mm -hmm. to share knowledge, to really reduce the, the injury. Um, fortunately for my kids, we've never had any major, mm -hmm. uh, injuries. Now I did, I, I tore my Achilles in 2007. Uh, um, but I was from an athlete standpoint, I was a legend in my own mind, probably anyway, <laughs> but I can only imagine what that would have felt like, right. To, uh, yeah. uh, a student athlete, right. To have, mm -hmm. to know that I'm going to be out for eight, nine months, what have you. So I, th I think there is a big opportunity to, to learn more. For sure. Uh, you know, and, and I think about this technology from the perspective of, you know, as a former army officer and an army ranger, um, I think about how tough we were on our bodies with just our weekly physical training regimen. I mean, I, we pretty much ran every single day, probably clocked 20 to 30 miles a week, every week and never stopped. And, you know, lo and behold, I was only on active duty five years, but I had some pretty serious Achilles tendonitis when I got out. And I, I bet you I was <laughs> close to a rupture. Um, you know, I'd get out of bed in the morning and like hobble over to the, to the sink. Um, and so, but I think about, you know, projecting a technology like this onto the military aren't wouldn't there be some unique applications there as well yeah there absolutely is we actually have a grant um application out right now we should know within the next two weeks um we we were kind of approached um our technology we were approached on using this exactly what you're talking about um because they are training as you know uh soldiers the same way mm -hmm. they train professional athletes and for us, it wasn't like a big divergence away. It wasn't a pivot. Um, 
it was kind of a natural fit. So we are definitely pursuing military applications uh, as well as first responders. Oh, yeah. Um, sure. I think that, you know, obviously those those individuals are making a big sacrifice, you know, um, for all of us. So I, I think it's important that we look at that market as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, what about uh, any anything fun worth noting about how I mean, it seems like a big undertaking to build something like this and to get great data out. And, you know, you've, you've, I'm sure you the product and the technology has come such a long way since 2017. Any fun stories about sort of like initial prototypes or for other founders out there? They're like, I'd love to get into this space. I love this industry. How do you even make gen one of something like this? Any anything fun to share there? I don't know about fun. I learned a lot of lessons the hard way. <laughs> um, trying to think offhand if there's anything specific. Like, did you use uh, duct tape in the first prototype? Oh any? yeah. You know what I mean? Like, what was it? Like, how did you how did you get started with the first prototype? Yeah, it was real clunky. Um, I actually had a an engineering firm in Boulder build something, and I mean it. You know if. The only requirement is that I could fit it in my car. You know, <laughs> that was the only requirement. Yeah. So, you know, when my kids got a little older, I had to make sure that there was room for them. But, um, you know, it is hard. And I know they talk about, you know, failing fast. You know, I, I probably wasn't really good at that. I'm probably more of a camel than a unicorn, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's definitely harder than you would expect. You know, if I had to tell anybody that, um, I think one of the things that I didn't do a good job of, um, until about the last three months is just being able to document everything. I think that that's Mm -hmm. important whether, cause like right now, um, I'm in a, a executive program through Stanford. It's been amazing, but they just kind of talk about things that I knew about, but I never did. You know, I mean, not that I knew the whole curriculum, but being able to document processes, like as we're deploying these new clients, it's so important that we document the whole um, deployment, the installation, all those little things, right? Because eventually when you want to grow, that has to be dialed in, right? You have to, it's it's speed with with clients to obviously get the revenue in. Um and I think the other thing that I would say that we've been fortunate at is building a network. Um, you know, I, I think that that's probably the number one thing um, that I would recommend for somebody starting because you're going to need people. You're probably not going to have a lot of capital, mm-hmm. right, to entice them. So, um, you know, you're, you're going to need people who kind of support think how you think or believe in what you're doing um, to come in and help you. And we've been very fortunate. I, you know, there's, there's a ton of advisors who have jumped in and stepped in and, you know, one right now is helping us with our pricing strategy, right? Because the investors want to know, okay, you know, you're discounting these beta systems, but can you tell us how you're going to sell 10 of these a month? Right. So we're having to think about those things. 
Very cool. What a uh, great advice. Um, what uh, what about uh, you mentioned uh, the on the capital side, raising capital? How how has that journey been for you? I, I assume you've you mentioned investors, so I assume you've raised some money. Um, I'd love to hear just about how you know your your journey raising capital in Colorado, um, and especially for what is primarily a, a hardware product here, right? So that can be hard. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about your your capital raising journey. Yeah, and I'll come back to the hardware piece because I do want. Okay, yeah, we can talk I about do that. Want, sure. I don't want to touch on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, a lot. Of, well, all of the investment has been basically friends and family, and then my wife and I's savings. So we haven't technically brought any angels in. Everybody's been accredited, but a lot of it has had to have been, as I mentioned, through networking, just some individuals. You know, um, it is extremely difficult right? To ask family and friends for money. Um, You know, I think right now, considering uh, the way the market is, our our focus is on grants for some Mm non-dilutive capital. Um, So, you know, it's been a, it's been a rough journey, you know, just trying to pull together as much money as you can, you know, you're learning on the way. Um, So, you know, I don't know, I have a, a lot to share there. I, I would say in hindsight, I probably should have done more pitching mm-hmm. just to kind of work on that craft. Sure. Um, I think that's extremely important, even if there's a pitch competition for 10 or $20,000, you know, it's money, it's non-dilutive. Yeah. So get, get those reps. It's just like getting on the court, right? You got to yeah. shoot, you got to practice your free throws if you're going to make them during games, I guess. Right. You do. Yeah. 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 So well, to your point hardware. on the hardware. Yeah, talk about that. So you're right. I mean, especially trying to raise capital and you're not on the coast. Um, we don't really like to think of ourselves as a hardware company. Um, we are hardware and software. However, we had a very teachable moment, I guess, in it was actually in 2020. We were working with a hardware vendor um I can't recall. I think it was in Italy, but we'd been going down the path with them, matching up our APIs and just kind of getting familiar with their product. Um, But they actually pulled the plug on us and they said, Hey, we're taking in some investment. The investors said, we have to get out of the sports space. We can only do industrial and commercial applications with their hardware. So obviously that was a, a challenge for us. Right. But in hindsight, it also made us think more that we are a software company and agnostic to the hardware. So I think mm-hmm. that that is a better path that we may not have taken. Um, now, right now we have a great hardware partner, you know, they built us some uh, mobile, a mobile system, right? So it yep. doesn't have to be into the infrastructure or have wires hanging from it. Mm-hmm. But I think long-term from a business standpoint, knowing that we have some um, diversity right? Some other opportunity. We could obviously build our own hardware um, if we wanted to, but we really want to be viewed more as a software solution sure, and sure. a data solution. Absolutely. Well, and I would imagine too, that really the mode that your business creates over time is the, is the data, right? I mean, just all these, all this athlete data becomes the true value of the business. And certainly businesses are more sustainable and, and more uh, growth oriented. If there's fundamentally charging for the software, uh, right. And, and it's more of a subscription model. So 
Yeah, I mean, it's it seems like a great play and a great strategy. How do you think about this this company interconnecting with some of the other more prevalent um, kind of wearables that are already out there for health and fitness? Like, you know, I'm a big uh, I'll show it here. I'm a big Whoop uh, Whoop fan. I, I've been a yeah. customer of Whoop for probably four or five years now. Um, but uh, you know, Whoop, Whoop, Apple Watch, Fitbit, all these. Like, how do you think about the integration and and center, sort of where you connect and become a permanent fixture in the ecosystem? I, I think it's an excellent idea. I mean, our our tags have Bluetooth capabilities, right? We have open APIs. Um, I definitely think, and there is a company out there that's doing something like that, where they're aggregating all the data from mm-hmm. different devices. Mm-hmm. I think the the privacy part you know, kind of becomes the challenge, making sure that there's layers of protection for the consumer. But I mean, I think you're spot on and and we actually didn't put any uh, screens on here because of like the whoops theory, right? What are you going to look at, right? Yeah, exactly. So we just want the athlete to put it on and do do their normal practice, right? Yep. Um, But I think your, your point is, is very important because we're not tracking things like sleep, right? We're mm-hmm. not getting caloric intake. Um, however, you know, we'll, we'll have some self-reporting tools that the athletes mm-hmm. can use. Um, but I, I, I would agree. I would think if, if an athlete or their family could get that full holistic view, um, sure. I think it'd be, it'd be cool, but um, I'm not sure how far are we we are from that. Yeah. Yeah. It could be, could still be decades away. Do you have any long, uh, you know, kind of long theories on the human performance space in general or any exciting kind of, uh, future predictions about where things will go in this category? You know, I, not really. I think the AI stuff is very interesting and Mm. intriguing, right? Um, I think to your point, our data, especially in this specific space where we're gathering data, mm-hmm. uh, hasn't been mined to the degree that we will be mining it. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I, I don't know if I have any predictions. I, I, I'm excited. I know we're working um, with a data analytics department at a local university to be able to obviously take all of our data, de-identify it, right, protect the privacy, but then aggregate it and let them let some PhDs kind of go through it, right mm-hmm. to uncover things. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I do think as far as taking care of athletes um, is going to change quite a bit, right? Like, because mm-hmm. the health is going to be so important, especially when you incorporate things like name, image and likeness. Right? Sure. If, sure. Um, interesting kind of side sure. note, you know, we've been talking uh, or at least interviewing some smaller schools that are in remote and rural areas, right? Like your Kansases, things of that nature. And sometimes they have challenges getting, attracting performance coaches to get there, to come there, right? But when they have systems like Zoptic or what have you, you know, there's a little more interest. But the reason we were kind of talking to them is they get a lot of really exceptional athletes, right? That may not be ready for, the D1, right? Mm-hmm. So when you think about how important it is that they take care of those athletes while they're there for a year or two, um, it's pretty important, right? Um, sure. That they they stay healthy and they get to that D1 level. But 
Um, Absolutely. Anyway, I, I, I digress on that one. Well, no, I think I think that's a great great comment. And and you, you, when you consider, I mean, it it's sort of magnified at the professional level. You look at like what happened to somebody like Aaron Rodgers. You know, the Jets spend all this money, and then. Yeah, like wait, it was one play, and and granted, I mean, maybe that was some injuries are unpreventable, but like these athletes are worth a lot of money to these franchises and these organizations, and even at the lower levels, like they represent the future. I think about a guy like um, uh, there was a running back from South Carolina that was a huge prospect, Marcus Lattimore, and he yeah. just never had an NFL career, and he was one of the greatest running back prospects in in recent history, but it was all injury based and. Like if we can take care of these athletes earlier, you would think like maybe we can take care of them longer and into successful careers. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Very cool. Well, we're almost out of time. I have two more questions. Um, one of them, I'm I'm curious. You know, uh, as a as a first generation American who started a company in in Colorado. Um, I'm just curious what advice you have for other founders that might be of similar backgrounds, um, you know, that could maybe use some encouragement or or just just thoughts in general about about that that journey for you and and what advice you would give to other founders. Yeah, I you know, I think it really just comes back to network. Like there's no, you know, there's no one size. There's no one thing Mm -hmm. Um, I can say for me personally, what's been. A tremendous help for me is um, this executive program. It's called it's it's through Stanford University, um, and it is an organization that's called it's called Elban Latino Business Action Network. Oh, cool! Um, so it's been a fantastic class. This this is actually the book that we're reading that's part of the curriculum, but it's nice. taught Scaling. by. Scaling up excellence is the book. Yeah, cool. It's it's a fantastic read. Um, you know, I started the program in September. It's a kind of a hybrid program. We go there in the beginning for opening ceremonies, and then I'll go back in two weeks for graduation. Um, but kind of on that minority side, I'm very grateful to be uh, to be accepted into this program because of kind of the network um, that they're creating and the environment. Um, so I would say, you know, to someone kind of, as you explained earlier, to, to look for those types of things, you know, because I, I too have been in programs where I don't feel like I'm heard or understood, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and then I go to, you know, things like this program and access mode. That's also, um, you know, where I met Danielle shoots at right through access mode. It's an accelerator here locally for BIPOC founders. So I think when, you know, look for those types of environments and opportunities to engage if you are someone, you know, like me, uh, I think it, you know, it can only help um, you further your product and your business. That's great advice, Brad. Thank you for sharing that. And we'll put, we'll be sure to put the links to both the Stanford LBAN program and access mode in the show notes. So if you're a founder listening and you are excited to check out those resources. Uh, we'll put those in the show notes. So thanks for sharing that, Brad. Yeah. Uh, my last question, I always like to kind of uh, go with something a little more personal. I'm curious, uh, in the next sort of 30 days, you've got, uh, as you mentioned earlier, uh, a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old athlete. Anything exciting in their careers, uh, their athletic careers that you're looking forward to? Big games coming up 
big tournaments, anything, anything exciting on the radar? No, you know, it's year round is probably sure. it is for you. <laughs> sure. Um, you know, my son played high school soccer this year and now he's going to try out for the basketball team. So that's a little nerve wracking, right? Yeah. You want, you want what's best, but sometimes you got to know, it, you know, it just wasn't meant to be. Um, you know, my daughter's got a little bit of travel in the winter for soccer, but we don't really have anything, um, right. like too exciting. Just because what we're about so you? Are you playing anything? Are you doing anything no. fun physically right now? Nothing really. After I tore my Achilles, uh, I just go to the weight room. Yeah. And I take I take my time. I don't I don't know. I well, maybe. I think it'd be better if I broke a sweat once in a while. But yeah. Um yeah. Basketball can be tough on these old joints, huh? I, I've retired as well. <laughs> yeah. <have you? laughs> yeah. I used to love playing. I played growing up, but I, I, you know, there's all these rec leagues and I'm like, I don't know if that's worth risking my ski season over, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Well, Brad, you've been such a fun guest. I'm really excited, excited to follow, uh, you know, the trajectory of Zoptic and, and continue, to, continue to follow your success. And um, I, I'm hopeful that, uh, you know, maybe maybe a, a hockey rink or a basketball gym near me will get one of these systems soon because it sounds like a super exciting product to, to dive into. So thank you for sharing your story today. And uh, to conclude, why don't you tell uh, our listeners a little bit more about where they can find you uh, in Zoptic Online? Yeah, uh, best way to connect with me would be on LinkedIn. Um, it's under Brad Paz. So, I, you know, I'm always willing to pay it forward. You know, if I can help anyone or answer some questions, um, I'd be more than open to do that. Thanks for the offer, Brad. Great to have you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Found in the Rockies. You can find links in the show notes or go to nextfrontiercapital.com to get transcripts, links, and contact information for today's guests. If you like what you heard and want more, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to get notified as our new episodes drop every two weeks. We'll see you next time.